Botulinum toxins, know your limits. The power of neuromodulators are well understood, but the best injectors know that every upside has a limit and a downside. Do not be afraid of telling your patients what the subtle downsides and limitations of a treatment are. Though patients often behave like they're looking for a god, most will be more than happy to settle for an honest guide instead. And that's what today's show is about. Don't forget to give the show a like and subscribe if you're learning from this content. So when I say guidance, I mean something different to the normal consent process, because of course we are all compelled to discuss potential complications. But the limits and downsides are much more subtle and much more easy to gloss over. The truth is that every single intervention, in fact every action we take, potentially has downsides and payoffs, which are not often listed in side effects and complications. I suspect that often we don't talk about these things, partially down to a fear that perhaps our patient will not want treatment. This is not the case, as most people understand when it is well explained that payoffs are inherent in every action we take in life. It is in your advantage that the patients see you as an expert able to talk not just about the positives, but even better to design treatments around the downsides which they fear. Only when you understand the downsides and payoffs can you practice at the highest level, which means you not only understand the downsides, but working with your patients you can justify, mitigate and compensate for them. Let's have a look at each of the three areas in the upper face. First, we'll take a look at the forehead. Relaxing the frontalis muscle reduces forehead lines and can help with a lift to the eyebrows, but it only works to stop and remove lines when you stop movement stillness of a muscle can be a disadvantage. We use eyebrow movements to express interest, concern, openness and honesty and even to flirt. Essentially they show other people some of what we are thinking. I've even been told by Miranda that the ads that we run where I have one eyebrow lifted get more attention than the others. The point is movement of the forehead is a non-verbal communication and without it we lose lines but also some of the benefits. We need to decide if we can justify, mitigate or compensate for that loss with each patient that we see. Justification essentially is that the patient feels and behaves in a more empowering way when the lines are not present. But we can also mitigate the risk through adjusting the treatment pattern to allow for whatever movement you can while also improving lines. I believe the ability to show interest and concern is important to how people read each other. And the ability to raise eyebrows even a little is beneficial. You don't need the full power in all situations. Simply being able to see the movement from a distance is probably enough. And this is a good reason to always leave the lower part of the frontalis untreated, regardless of the risk of a drop. Patients need to understand that the best treatments actually have as much movement as possible while not having lines. A goal to freeze 100% of all the movement has major downsides. But what about frown lines? The Dabella complex is less nuanced than the frontalis and is much more centered around negative expressions. So is there a downside to not looking negative? I believe yes, and it's particularly true with people who need to look negative in certain roles. Non-verbal communication of the negative is of particular concern in certain professions. For example, counselors, psychologists and psychiatrists could all find this movement important and the communication of dissatisfaction or anger is particularly important in those professions where laying boundaries is important. Frowning could even be considered a means of self-defense, 
to be able to convey your conviction in a boundary. Who is this most important for? I always mention it to teachers who often tell me that they can control a class with facial expressions as well as tone of voice and posture. Most teachers when you discuss it will have a whole bag of tricks, not just one, but it's still worth mentioning. I also discuss this with policemen, lawyers, barristers, and anyone who may have an adversarial role in their work. The truth is we all need to draw boundaries at times, so it's never wrong to discuss this, but there are also multiple other ways to compensate for negative expression, for example, with tone of voice and with body movements. What's important is that the limitation is identified. You can also convey much of the same information with far less movement, Something I've seen with fewer, more central doses of botulinum toxin, the three-point approach that leaves some lateral movement. This can still convey some negative emotion. Now let's consider the orbicularis oculi muscle, arguably the second most complex area after the forehead. Of course, it reduces the contraction of the skin at the lateral canthal lines, but what are the downsides? First, it's important to realize that a Duchenne smile that is a smile that reaches the eyes, is a very important communication in human bonding. Non-Duchenne smiles are associated with psychological distance. There is a communication of formality, politeness, and therefore distance. I speak from bitter experience when I say, if you make a great joke and you get a polite smile, it doesn't go unnoticed. So how can we mitigate this risk? First, remember that the orbicularis oculi is not the only communication of a genuine smile movement of the head, opening of the mouth, and the degree of contraction of the zygomatic muscles all contribute to a sense of genuine emotion. Beyond that, we can simply reduce the dose, particularly in the inferior section of the orbicularis oculi muscle. I quite regularly use lower doses in the most inferior and medial injection points, usually around two units, depending on the strength of the muscle. Fuller cheeks can also transmit energy into the eye area and prevent the loss of that warmth of a genuine smile. Sometimes it's appropriate to consider dermal filler if there is lost volume for the same reason, as more energy may be transmitted to the eyes during expression to prevent loss of that Duchenne smile. Beyond loss of expression, there is also disruption of the normal harmony of facial movements, which can occur when botulinum toxin is used in the upper face. Consider the sphincteric-like shape of the orbicularis oculi and how relaxing only a small section of it laterally may result of domination of other areas of the muscle during large expressions of emotion. The classic over-Botox look is a pinched look during a smile, where facial features are pulled medially due to the lack of lateral resistance or balance as the muscle is relaxed laterally and not medially. The orbicularis oculi is also an accessory muscle for cheek elevation. And in older patients with small cheeks and skin laxity, it is possible that removing the lines causes an unacceptable drop in the cheek. So appearance of sadness at rest and complete loss of warmth in the eye when expressing positive emotion is possible. Once again, we can mitigate this risk with lower doses and on occasion replacing the lost volume in cheeks with dermal filler. But most important is I hope you've understood the potential downsides for each of these particular areas. Now the lower face, if anything, is filled with even more pitfalls and potential subtle degradations to the dynamic and the aesthetic results, but we'll have to do that in another show. Mm -hmm.